Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. If you fail, to me, I'm just proud you tried, right? I'm, I'm excited for you for, for getting out there. And I'm even more excited when you pick yourself back up and you go try again. I think that's really the most important thing um, to be successful because you're not going to get it right the first time. No one does. Um, so the people who get there are the ones that keep picking themselves up and keep going out there again. I think culture is king. I think today, especially, people will gravitate towards companies that have a great culture. And, and smart companies are waking up to that. So I think you're super right, creating a culture like positivity, like knowing that your company makes a difference and matters. Um, and it, grab, it goes beyond just a volunteer work. Generally, a company that does that probably treats employees well, right? You probably care about, they tend to care about people. So it tends to be a really good place to work. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 55. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming... And speaking with Gary Travis. Gary is a military veteran that volunteered to deploy to Iraq in 2011 and then volunteered to mentor Iraqi children while overseas. He has worked with marketing and finance for Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 companies. He is currently the CEO and co-founder of Givali and is pursuing a vision for a world where it's easy for everyone to work together. Now, isn't that awesome and inspiring? Gary, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah. So when, whenever I talk to people, great people like yourself, who I've gotten to know and follow on LinkedIn and really um, understand a bit of your backstory, but only just a little bit, and certainly my listeners are who are not familiar with you yet, they certainly should become familiar with you, but those who are still not familiar, give us a little bit of your, your backstory. How did you get to this point? Talk about your transition from the military into this line of work, you know, sort of fill us in a little bit. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share my story. Um, so I like to think one of the best ways to learn is through, through failure. So I think being, being, not being afraid to fail is a really important characteristic because failures are great teachers. So I have been pursuing entrepreneurship for at least 10 years. I've tried and failed many times, and this idea is the one I've taken the farthest so far. I, I saw the need for a better way for us to work together when I was working at Johnson & Johnson, and there's a big disconnect between the opportunities they would find or other companies would find to get involved with and the need within the community. And so I knew there was a better way, and I set off on building that. A year and a half later, here we are launching our beta within Chicago. We have companies working with us, we have uh, community partnerships, and we've helped 20 projects to date in the greater Chicago area. So we're really excited to make a difference and to get out there and do, and do more good. Beautiful. So there are actually two things I'd like to unpack right away in what you said. First, let's talk about this piece about failure. You said you failed many times. All of us have failed in different ways. Um, certainly, there's a lot that I have learned along the way in terms of my own transition into what I presently do. Um, talk about why you think so many people are afraid to fail and why people need to get beyond that if they're going to really succeed in life. Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question. So I think many people think failure is fatal, or they think that it's a lot, it sounds a lot worse than it really is. And once, or, maybe, or maybe, if I may for a second, just a, a reflection yeah. on who we are, sort of like a judgment. Yeah, 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 go yeah ahead. I, I, think, 
I, th I think I think there are probably many many reasons, and that that's certainly certainly one of them. Um, maybe it's our psyche or ego getting in the way, right? And once we realize that's really not that bad, or you know, it doesn't doesn't make you a worse person, or it doesn't really change how people should not judge you for failing, right? If you fail, to me, I'm just proud you tried, right? I'm I'm excited for you for, for getting out there. And I'm even more excited when you pick yourself back up and you go try again. I think that's really the most important thing. Um, too successful because you're not going to get it right the first time no one does um so the people who get there are the ones that keep picking themselves up and keep going out there again so it's like failing towards success exactly yeah, yeah it's the, so, that's the best strategy i've found yeah no i agree with you and I, and I and i genuinely think that failure is such a paralyzing force in our lives because we're afraid what are people going to say mm -hmm. we think it's a reflection of who we are you know as a former educator i still do a lot of talks on the topic of mindset Mm -hmm. whether to schools and teachers or whether to professionals and business leaders. And the idea that I develop a fixed mindset of who I am, what my capabilities are, is often one of the greatest inhibitors, if you will, towards my mm -hmm. success. So I think it is really critical for us to be able to say, I recognize the potential for failure. Um, some of my guests in the past have talked about the idea of failing fast. So mm -hmm. recognizing when it is, when you stay with it, when you pivot to something else, which we probably could unpack as well, but there's so many other areas I want mm -hmm. to get into. And so here is um, a follow-up to the other point that you talked about. You discussed that, this is what I understood. Tell me if this is correct. And if so, then of course the question could follow afterwards. Here mm -hmm. you have a company, you mentioned Johnson & Johnson, I believe, um, mm -hmm. who's interested in contributing to the community in some way, to give back, to make a positive impact and imprint. And they're looking for agencies, organizations that they can contribute towards, and yet they're, they're getting stuck somewhere. Something's not working. Their right. desire to contribute is, is limited. And as a result, you've come in to try to smooth out the process. So where are organizations or companies, because it's interesting, my wife um, works for a large corporation as well. They also have a similar type of program. Where do you find that the companies and the organizations, in particular the, the corporations, where are they getting stuck? Mm -hmm. And what is it that you're trying to do um, that's helping to kind of smooth out the process and allowing for things to move forward? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, um, there's so many, you'd be, I, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but there's so many needs out there in the world, right? And, this, and I think it's really awesome that companies, especially today, is a big trend towards companies want to get more involved to give, to give back. Like they, one, they really care a lot more about it. But two, they recognize it's really good for business. So it's kind of a very good business decision to get out there. Um, I see a lot of the problem happens because a lot of the, um, the real problems are maybe the, the not so large nonprofits or not so large ideas that maybe they're really impactful and really good. They're really hard to find. And people, um, usually when they're working in corporations, it's not their full-time job is finding these opportunities. Um, and if, even if it is, you have way more responsibility than just finding these opportunities. And take it even a step further, once you find a good nonprofit or good organizations you want to partner with, they don't always have time to make time to get help. Like they're so busy and overwhelmed that they can't even always make time to, to ask for help or organize the help that they receive. So you see a lot of instances where people give back really ineffectively um, or give back to the wrong areas because it's almost like busy work. It's almost like, hey, we just want to do this to do this instead of doing it to actually make a difference. So I think um, the bigger you get, the harder it is to really match correctly. Um, and one of our major initiatives is to make it as easy as possible to connect. To have, we want to improve the connections and find, um, connect the, the issues in the community that are most impactful with the companies that are best suited to solve these issues. 
And so once you have the right match, how do yeah. we still get past the issues of manpower and bandwidth and things like this? So one of the cool things about doing it through, so we are a web platform, so we have a lot of technology behind us. So one of the cool things about us is we, we can help to organize the people. We have skill matching, we have location matching, and we have a full description of the project. So you know exactly what it is that you're doing before you even get involved. And you can make sure the right people are there at the right time. Um, in addition, it kind of provides visibility to needs that wouldn't normally have visibility. So it's a way for um, maybe a small nonprofit or even an individual, if you have a good idea and, and it's something that matters, people might rally behind you and help you out. So it gives everyone kind of an even, even playing field. So I think the biggest thing that we're doing is we're even in the playing field. So we, we're taking attention away from, the, from always when like the large, large nonprofits that get tons of help and kind of giving the small ones an opportunity to be heard, which companies are looking for, but they have the hardest time finding these opportunities. Yeah. And we could probably spend a lot more time on this and where to find and all that. And I'm going to give you a chance to talk about it, you know, as, as we wrap up this segment. But I do want to circle back to one more thing that you mentioned before, you know, moving on to my next question for you. And that is you talked about how giving is good for business. I have a sense of what you're trying to say. I'm not sure I'm right, but I'm curious to know what you mean. How is it good for business, both on the business side of it, as well as the individual um, member of the business? How is it, how is it good for everybody? Absolutely. Well, for one thing, um, the millennials and generation Z, they care a lot about companies that involve. In fact, uh, when it comes to looking for a job, they will choose companies that are socially responsible over companies that would pay them more that are not socially responsible. So they put a lot of emphasis on finding companies that align with their core values over everything else. It's just really important to the next generation of the workforce. Um, in addition, they are becoming, they're becoming um, consumers. So as they, as they grow in their ability to buy and to purchase um, or influence purchasing decisions, they gravitate towards companies that have a social mission and social cause as well. They want to know that they're buying from a company that cares, that has good ethics. And so you'll see, you see trends and consumers gravitating towards the companies that um, have a good social mission as well. So it helps you um, grow your business and it helps you um, find the right talent and even takes a step farther. And when you find the really impactful volunteer opportunities, it really helps you engage your employees to keep everyone happy. Yeah, th there's a lot of power there. I'd like to add one more piece, if I may, at least what I was thinking in additionally is the impact on the internal dynamics. So you talked about the millennial, the Gen Z are coming in, wanting to work for a company with purpose values and all of that. You talked mm -hmm. about people wanting companies that are value-driven, that they look on their websites, they see what kind of voluntary, you know, uh, volunteer activities and, and social contributions are they making, et cetera. But I'm also thinking about the day-to-day -day internal dynamic that is altered for the good because mm -hmm. giving and volunteering is part of the fabric of the culture of the workplace. Any thoughts Absolutely. on that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think culture is king. I think today, especially, people will gravitate towards companies that have a great culture, and, and smart companies are waking up to that. So I think you're super right, creating a culture like positivity, like knowing that your company makes a difference and matters. Um, and it, it goes beyond just a volunteer work. Generally, a company that does that probably treats employees well, right? You probably care about, they tend to care about people, so it tends to be a really good place to work. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Nice. Okay, so you talked about failure before. Let's unpack that a little bit more because you did something that you hear about a lot because, frankly, it happens all the time. But yet, for many people, it's not necessarily on their radar. And that is folks who have been in the military, been in the armed forces, contributed in a meaningful way in a very specific type of 
um, let's call it format or arena. And now they've got to transition into civilian life and specifically mm-hmm. into the workforce, which mm-hmm. plays by to some degree. I mean, there's obviously a lot of co- comparison between the military and, 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 and corporate life. And oftentimes former military leaders do a very effective job of becoming, you know, let's call it leadership coaches and consultants because they can, they can distill the leadership concept from the military, you know, a Jocko Wilnick type of person who kind of brings it, you know, back mm-hmm. to the, back to the workplace. But for the regular, for lack of a better term, rank and file for the average um, member of the military who's transitioning back in, what would you say, at least for you, was your biggest challenge in that transition? But mm-hmm. also what was your biggest advantage? Like what did your time in the military teach you in terms of values, in terms of, you know, um, self-regulation, in terms of expediency, whatever it might be, that has given you in many ways a competitive advantage over others. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you hit on a subject that's really near and dear to, to my heart and, and to a lot of people. Veterans that transition have a really hard time often making a transition. There needs to be more resources for this. And I, I kind of see trends towards more people trying to solve this issue. Because military, military skills or the actual on paper skills do not always translate directly into jobs. Even myself, even though I was a captain in finance, I still had a hard time, even as a captain in finance with an MBA. So I actually had taken a step forward and got my master's. Even with that, it was hard for me to transition. So I can't imagine how hard it would be for someone who is infantry or maybe a non-technical role. Um, that would be even more difficult to, to do. Um, and so, so it was nice because I think employers do value veterans. And I, I, I think that's really important. But they don't always value the work experience. So when when I would when I would try to when I would interview, a lot of times they would look at um, say, hey, they would appreciate my service, which you know is always thankful for, but they would not count my military experience, even though as a, as a leadership role within the organization, they wouldn't count it towards my work history. So I had to kind of almost start from scratch with the MBA, um, which I didn't really understand. And I think that I think that's one challenge that we have. So that's for me as a captain. I can imagine be like for a sergeant or you know anyone like that who's making a transition. I do think we are equipped with some skills that give us an advantage. We, we can deal with stress. Like we, if you can go to overseas or if you can go through basic training even, they, they, you get very comfortable working in high stress environments. So, and I do think job hunting can be very stressful. I think it would take a toll on your mental health. And so we're not perfect, but I think we have some more fortitude towards, you know, the mental problems, the, the stress and the, the, you know, the, the value issues that you run into where you start, start to stop valuing yourself as much as you should. And we're very stubborn, so we don't we don't give up. <laughs> That's another characteristic that we have. Yes, yes, and I, I I do hear all of the above. It almost sounds like more education is needed for employers to help them yep. understand what the benefits are of a of a military experience. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this to what may seem like a strange place for a moment, just to sort of draw a parallel, but as somebody who is Orthodox Jewish. So we have in our community, if you will, a certain form of educational structure with a heavy emphasis on Judaic texts um, Mm -hmm. and on what we call Torah study. And in many cases, that becomes the overwhelming majority of educational focus for the enti- the, a, a student's entire life, really, at least through even post, quote unquote, postdoctoral. It's a little bit of a different structure, but same concept. And so oftentimes when somebody has been in a Judaic, let's call it rabbinic track for a long time, with most of the focus being on 
ancient texts and, and tradition and things of the sort and biblical commandments, all that stuff. Now you're trying to pivot into the workplace and get a job and succeed in business. And some people go to a regular college uh, to pursue a real degree, so to speak. And some people sort of just go out there and try to utilize the analysis and the studiousness and the understanding of concepts and all of the academic rigor that they experienced for, for decades, you know, for years, if not decades, they're bringing that to bear. And so even though they may not have the technical knowledge or the content knowledge that some others have because they didn't have the same degree of training, they have workplace experience, they have wisdom, they have mm -hmm. interpersonal skills, they have a certain savviness, a certain go-getter type of attitude. Everybody's different, but a lot of this kind of thing, and I was personally amazed. I mean, I have two masters and a doctorate, so clearly I pursue higher, higher I pursued it and I value it, but not everybody does, and yet many of them are very successful. So it sometimes it's just a sort of like a reorientation of the mind that you don't mm. necessarily have to go A to B to C to D in order to be E. Sometimes mm. you can get to E in a different way and even far surpass the E of somebody else. And so bringing it back to veterans for a moment, I'm not saying it's necessarily exactly the same concept, but we may need different metrics or mm -hmm. may need different approaches, different education. So, you know, the, the military always did a great job when I used to have a TV, at least, and I was kind of watching advertisements and all, you know, they used to do a great job in sort of selling, joining the military, be all you can be. And we do more, bef uh, more before 6.30 a.m. than most people do all day, this kind of stuff. And that's yeah. exciting for, for a teenager, for a young man or woman who wants to serve. But are we doing enough as a as a veteran-oriented society, as, as, as a government, and as, as people who, who value the contributions of our veterans to educate our people to know what, you know, we're hearing more about PTSD and all of that, and that's important too, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, but here is that how do we get people who are in a good spot and, and have the resources and tools, how do we get them to, um, to really be better positioned to succeed? And so, so I'm hearing a lot of education there. It was a long way of saying it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I really appreciate what you talked about because, you know, you talked about being, in many cases, um, you mentioned this in a different way, but I'm going to say that, you know, the, the, you talk about managing stress. I would imagine there's an element of resourcefulness mm -hmm. that our veterans have as well. And, you know, you hear it so often, whether it's the Tony Robbins of the world or others, actually had Marissa Levin on my last podcast, and she talked about this as well, the idea that it's less about resources and it's more about resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. If you can make something out of situations, then you're going to mm -hmm. be in a better place. So, so this is something, you know, for everyone who's out there as a leader who has openings, who has opportunity, you know, certainly give Gary a, a call to talk about this idea further, but, but separate from that, just understand that while they may not have the work experience of the average potential candidate, they mm -hmm. bring a whole wealth of life experience and whatnot that can't be duplicated pretty much, I would think, in civilian life. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad we touched on this. Now, now tell me about your LinkedIn strategy. This isn't really a LinkedIn mm -hmm. podcast, but I did mention it before, and I do think that anyone listening to this um, should have, if doesn't have a LinkedIn profile and probably wants to be that much more impactful and far reaching 
and, um, you know, and really build a following on LinkedIn that's going to help them grow their business. And you mm -hmm. seem to have done it. I don't know if you have a formal strategy. You don't have to share your full secret sauce here. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd love to know, you know, is there a particular process you have used? And what about your messaging in particular do you think has worked for you? Because again, whether this is a LinkedIn conversation, just generally speaking, people now buy from people more mm -hmm. so perhaps than ever before. We don't buy from corporations. We don't buy from entities. We buy mm -hmm. from the values and the mission and the purpose and all of this. So you've tapped, in, you've tapped into something pretty deep, Gary. And I, I think that mm -hmm. if you could share what that is, um, you know, it'll be very valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love your insight. I, I, I think, um, and I, I've kind of fallen in love with LinkedIn as well. Would you believe that I wasn't even on social networks five months ago? I just wow. started, <laughs> I just started social media. I was on Facebook like four or five years ago and, and kind of left it. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I, I, I think that um, my entrepreneurial background helps me a lot with, with LinkedIn because I'm not afraid to try. I'm not afraid to fail, right? It goes back to failure. I try, you see this post that was successful. You don't see the post that gets no engagement or just, just kind of died a slow death. Um, you see the post um, over time, I've kind of figured out what kind of posts do well, what kind of posts don't do well, because back going back to entrepreneurship, you want to listen to the customer, right? So you want to listen to, to your audience. Um, and, and part of that is building a brand. And, and once you figure out the brand that, that aligns with your values and your mission and your goals on LinkedIn, if you can align that brand with what the community wants to hear from you, once you find that alignment, just stick with it, right? Be very consistent. And you mentioned earlier about kind of um, hiring people, you know, like anyone can learn, anyone can learn skills, right? Skills are, are transferable. Um, I actually, one of my most successful posts was about higher character over skill, right? Because I think, I think you can train, you can train someone. Um, and so I've, I've really found a lot of success and focused on people kind of um, offering inspiration and wisdom to people. And um, I think, I think if I say what my most successful thing What's to help me the most? I, I always treat people with respect. I'm always always respond to comments. I'm always um, kind, optimistic, and always try to put. I try to put content out there that has value to everyone. So I, I'm happy to talk about LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn, so I can answer any questions you have about that. But um, I think I think the key is to put out good content in general. Just be aligned your content with your brand always. Like figure out your brand and stick to it. And then always treat people with respect so they keep coming back. That's been a big, a big success for me. That's unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, there's a lot there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I like the character over skill piece. I, apparently mm -hmm. a lot of people do because uh, like, yeah. it was a very popular post. Um, and it is important. It really is. I mean, I can speak to it myself as first as, as for somebody who has transitioned career wise, but I feel like I'm constantly transitioning even within the transition. Like yeah. I'm constantly tweaking my message. I'm constantly tweaking my offerings because I, I want to make sure that I'm adding the right kind of value. And um, I'm still not sure that I have fully identified what that is, but I'm, I'm definitely in a much more comfortable place than I was even a short while back. So it's less about the yeah. skill I brought into what I do and more about how I utilize um, my character and utilize myself as a person to bring value to others. So that, that really resonates mm -hmm. with me personally. I can imagine why it resonates with others as well. And sort of just, it sounds like just showing up, testing, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that, you know, what works, what doesn't, what do people really want to hear more of and then deliver and mm -hmm. deliver that. And that's just good business sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, to add on to that, I have posted every day for five months. I've not taken a single day off. I'm not saying people should do that, but that's part of why I show up every day, right? I always show up. Even if it's even if it's like on the holidays, I post like something small, but it keeps me present in people's people's mind. 
and I'm always giving back value somehow. I respond to every comment. So I get some, I get some crazy comments sometimes and I'm, I'm always trying to I get hundreds of comments. It takes a lot of my time to do so, but people feel respected. So I think, I think that stuff is what people don't really pay attention to, but that's kind of what it takes. Like show up every day. Like you said, you know, don't, don't be too busy to make time for people. Cause it really, it really pays off. Yeah. And in and, and today's day and age with social media in particular, um, you don't want people to have a reason to not say nice things about you on a very selfish Absolutely. level, separate from what mm-hmm. you talked about. You know, you always want to be able to say this person values me. This person um, took my message in kind in, in stride and, and didn't mm-hmm. kind of blow it up and wasn't snarky with me. You know, I'll tell you what, in those rare instances, thankfully it's not that often, but in those rare instances that people are, you know, I'll leave the spam alone, but the snarkiness, you know, yeah. it stays with me. You know what I mean? Like I know, mm-hmm who did that. And, and, and when that happens, it's harder for me to then think more favorably of them down the road. I do recognize people have bad days and we make poor judgments and all of that, but it is hard sometimes to look past it. So being present, being positive, sharing inspiration, all of that I think is fantastic. So separate from that, um, what do you think, Gary, if you're advising leaders and you want to tell them these are three things you should do every day, that's going mm-hmm. to advance yourself and or your business. What are some things that come to mind? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think the first thing you need to do is be very clear in what you want to accomplish. It's it's hard to accomplish something if you kind of do in everything, right? So so have a very clear goal, and then so that'd be number one. Like have a very clear goal. Number two would be it goes back to your point about showing up. Show up every day. In other words, work towards it every day, even if it's a small amount. Just get in the habit of constantly working, like constantly moving, moving forward, even small steps add up to, you know, a long distance eventually. And then uh, three, just try to, don't be afraid to fail. So you're going to make mistakes along the way, but it's really important to try things so you know what works and what doesn't work. Excellent. So yeah. you have a vision, don't be, make sure you're always working towards it. And then don't be afraid to fail because the failure is going to make you move a lot faster in the long run. Yeah. And then if I may add to it, to make that last point a little bit more, let's mm-hmm. call it actionable as an actual concrete step is to reflect often, you know, mm-hmm. on your work and how am I doing towards my goals and to be able to, to adjust accordingly, you know, when there's ever, when there's ever a, a an issue there. And this first point that you mentioned kind of resonates with me because uh, the, the webinar will happen before this releases, but I'm going to be yeah. uh, rolling out a, a webinar shortly on, on productivity. And the first, the first step is planning right? Mm-hmm. Have clarity about what your goals are, plan it so that you know exactly what that looks like. So the more that you can imagine it, and then on top mm-hmm. of it, the more that you can attach some emotion to it, I think that that's very powerful. Um, let's talk about a person who was most influential or most helpful to you in terms of getting to where you are today. What, what did that person do? How do they, how do they contribute to the present Gary Travis? Yeah, I, I think that there are many people, and this is probably probably cliche, but I think honestly, my, my mom was like the most influential person because there, uh, she wasn't always supportive of me. There, there are times when she told me not to do certain things, but about six or seven years ago, we had a frank talk where, cause she was, she was afraid of failure. Like she'd be afraid of not, um, she wanted me to get a traditional job and just, you know, she didn't even want me to get my master's. So she's like, just get it. She's, she's kind of from like um, the country. So it's a little bit different there. And she's like, just graduate, get a job, and then just work the rest of your life, and that should be that should be your, your goal. Um, that's that'd be a good life. And I and I disagreed with. I didn't say I don't think it's a bad life, but I, I kind of knew I was meant to do more more than that. 
And um, we would butt heads often when I was younger about that. Cause I, I've always been this way. It's kind of my personality. Um, but one day she realized that what she was doing was not like, she really should kind of let go and stop being afraid of me failing and let me kind of you know, spread wings and, just, and try things. And ever since that day, she's been my biggest champion. So she, she's totally all about me starting companies. Um, she was, uh, you know, she was worried when I went overseas, but she understood that it was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, kind of give back to my country. And I, I knew it would help me become a stronger person too. So personal development is something I care, personal development is something I care a lot about as well. So yeah, nice. it's kind of, it's probably cliche. You probably, I don't know how often you hear this answer or not, but yeah, I think my mom has been really a big champion of me. It's been really supportive of me on my journey. Got it. When you think of all the advice that you were given, you could choose one or the other, either the best advice you were ever given or the worst advice you were ever given, which would it be? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, I, I would say probably the, some of the worst advice that I was given would be that uh, people, this actually goes back to entrepreneurship in general. So when I, I, I went through a, uh, an accelerator in Chicago, which the, the idea is to kind of boost your company, make it grow really, really fast. I think in business, there's a huge emphasis on growing your business incredibly fast and have this rapid growth that's just like, you're going to double every year or like get make millions of dollars super fast. And that puts a lot of pressure on companies and a lot of companies fail because they make rash decisions or they pick up team members too quickly or they just, they can't keep up this, the, they, they raise money too early. So I think, I think um, the worst advice I've been given as an entrepreneur is to be as big as you can, as quickly as you can. I have learned that patience is key. Like don't, like just have a solid strategy, goes back to strategy, have a very clear vision. We have a very thorough and, and clear business plan. Um, and then we stick, that's what we follow. That's like our guide. We make sure we hit those milestones and everything else beyond that is just noise to us. We don't worry about it. So we, we are on path to be, you know, a big company one day to make a lot of good in the world. And um, it's our path and it's much more, I think our likelihood of success is much higher than if we were to be very rapid company, raising money, spending money, and burn out before we had a chance to really do anything. Cool. I like that. I like patience. Yeah. You know, it can sometimes be very hard because you just want to get and you want to do and you want to succeed. But I think that that's a great way to end this segment. The idea that having a plan, having trust in the plan, once you've vetted it out with the right people and there's good authority mm -hmm. behind it, follow the plan, stick with it. Of course, you may need to tweak here or there, you know, as the, as the tailwinds blow and as you kind of like figure out the realities post plan uh, development, but having the confidence that eventually it will deliver and bear fruit is really important, especially because so often, like you said, um, if you are not, if you're not, uh, not consistent, if you're not um, disciplined, then mm -hmm. you could easily get off course and make some bad decisions. And the next thing you know, the whole thing is blown up. So, mm -hmm. so really thank you for bringing us to this place. And now I'm going to do the opposite of patience, which is the rapid mm -hmm. fire segment and ask you to respond quickly to just a few different pieces that'll give us some additional insight about you, the person, Gary, the hardest okay. part of basic training. The hardest part of basic training was uh, standing still. And <laughs> we had to stand at attention for hours at a time. Like it would, Whoa. When I say hours, I mean like eight to 10 hours. We had to stand still. We couldn't move. We moved. It was, it was bad for us. So that's oh probably where I learned patience. Yeah. Goodness. Three attributes of great leaders. Patience. Go back to patience. Uh -huh. I think vision. And I think the ability to act on the vision. Okay. On a scale of one to 10, because you seem like such a sweet guy. How mischievous are you? What's that? Sorry. How mischievous are you? A scale oh, to one to 10. 10 being most 
yeah. and one being like just a total angel. <laughs> probably three, probably three. I do, I do like to have fun sometimes. Okay. And finally, and this is one that I debate a lot because I spent 12 years in Chicago and mm -hmm. then I moved down to Atlanta. I don't live there anymore. Um, and the contrast of weather, as you know, is probably pretty significant. So I'm curious to know, would you prefer a Chicago winter or an Iraqi summer? So I've, I've been in both. <laughs> so I can say that I prefer the winter, to be honest. I like the cold air. It feels good on, on my skin. I like the way it kind of makes me feel alive. Um, I don't like to drive in it, though. Driving in the winter is, is one of the worst, uh -huh, worst experiences. Yeah. I told people all the time I prefer a Chicago winter to an Atlanta summer because yeah. you can't, you, you know, especially as a Sabbath observer, you got to walk everywhere that day of the week with the heat and humidity in August. It was just like unbearable. But like yep. you said, you could always layer up. It's not mm -hmm. fun to be stuck indoors, <laughs> but you could always layer up. All right, Gary, this has been fantastic. Why don't you give us a little bit more where people could reach you online, your website, all that good stuff. We are going to link it up as well. And okay. then we'll circle back for one last piece. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm very available on LinkedIn, as we spoke about. So you can always find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Gary Travis. Um, connect to me, follow me. I'm looking to grow my network and, and impact more people. Um, if you're interested in the business side of Givoli or want to talk more about what we're doing, we're really focused on Chicago right now. But please reach out to me at Gary at Givoli.com or visit our website at www.givoli.com. Beautiful. Okay. And when they're done helping, you know, nonprofits, maybe they could help some of their sports franchises as well. I think that yeah. uh, Chicago sports is back to where it was when <laughs> I was living there. There were some moments. You had some good moments yeah. there. You know, the Blackhawks. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, but I digress. And the Cubs, the Cubs, finally the Cubs. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Gary, before we go, you've given us a lot. Um, give us one final life lesson, please, that's going to wrap up our conversation and uh, leave us with a high. Yeah, I would say to kind of summarize this conversation, go out there and fail and, and fail, fail forward. So make mistakes, but make mistakes in a way that you learn from them and, and just keep trying. You, will, you know when succeeds the first time. Um, it takes many, multiple attempts. Overnight successes are built on the backs of years of labor and, and build a team around you too because the team will help you um, be more consistent and move forward. Beautiful. And that's probably why people connect to you so much on LinkedIn and elsewhere because we're all out there. We're hustling. We're grinding. Yeah. We're struggling. We're doing, and we just need a lot of support. You know, we need to mm -hmm. know that others are out there too, and kind of like lift the curtain and realize that we're not alone in this. And creating that community is very powerful. So, thank you, yeah. Gary. Definitely, everybody, check him out. He's got a world of good going on, and he's just scratching the surface of what is out there, what's what the potential is. So, get behind these efforts, and absolutely, let's try to make a difference together. Gary, thanks again so much for being on Lead to Succeed. And much continued success. I certainly look forward to engaging with you further online and beyond in the future. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to pick up your copy of Becoming the New Boss on Amazon or at becomingthenewboss.com. If you've already got your copy, be sure to rate the book and leave a comment.